All right, welcome to Cornerstone Church tonight. We're doing our uh, core seminar, Living as a Church. And tonight we're looking at diversity. It's the third session. We've looked at unity, membership, and now diversity. And so it's really unity in spite of diversity because we're all different people and we have different customs, different, come from different cultures. And so it's important to recognize those differences and be unified around the gospel of Jesus Christ because we are in Christ. And so we've talked about it before. We need to bring our Bibles, a notebook and pen, and then we have handouts each week and make sure that everybody has received a handout tonight and make sure you bring enthusiasm. Yay, all right. <laughs> now that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> so we at Cornerstone Church believe in, it, it has said biblical membership till now, but it's really a biblical and a covenant membership because we covenant with one another for the sake of glorifying the Lord and functioning as a biblical ter- church. Uh, and to attain to a better understanding on what it means to be a local church and the church of Jesus Christ. And so we remember uh, our identity as the body, that we're the body of Christ, our responsibility or responsibilities uh, within the body, and our commitment to the body. And so unity in the church, by way of introduction... is a foreign concept to those on the outside. They can't relate to it oftentimes because of the unity that we have. At least that's the way it should be. A biblical church is made up of saints from various uh, cultural backgrounds, occupations, incomes, ages, and personalities, yet we experience unity in Christ. How is that possible? How can we do that? How can we be so unified and yet be made up of such different members. So what unites us uh, in spite of those differences? Ultimately, obviously, I think, I think it's obvious that it comes from God's saving grace to us in Christ. When you become a Christian, you under, undergo a complete identity change. Now you're a new creation, you're part of God's family, and you're united in Christ. Being a Christian is more fundamental to your identity than anything else you might be identified by, or it should be. That should become your primary identity. And so the unity that you share with every other Christian is more profound and permanent than any other conceivable bond that you might can think of or come up with. So since people are naturally diverse, whatever the, wherever the gospel exists, unity and diversity should exist too. Now, a couple points here under introduction. Diversity might be more important than it might seem, but in another sense, or on the other hand, like we talked about Sunday, it's maybe less important than it may seem. And so diversity is probably more important and at the same time less important than you might have thought until tonight. 
It's more important because people with no worldly bonds <clears throat> or connections love each other sacrificially in the church. It provides a grand witness to the truth of the gospel for a watching world. So diversity isn't just something that's nice to have. It's our central, or it's central to our witness. It's the outcome of brotherly love. But at the same time, and, and don't miss this, at the same time, diversity could be less important than you thought because it's not an end in itself. You can be diverse. A lot of churches are diverse, but they're unhealthy. They're not unified. They don't have love, and they're not centered around the gospel. So if diversity is an important part of our witness, and yet simply being diverse for its own sake, isn't the purpose of the church, how should we, as a congregation, think about diversity in our midst? In this class, we'll start by examining the purpose of diversity in Ephesians chapter 3, and then what exactly this diversity is, where it comes from, and finally, three ways to cultivate our unity in diversity. So what is the biblical purpose of diversity in the local church? To answer that question, let's return back to the book of Ephesians as we've done already in this study. That's the bedrock. Ephesians is the bedrock for this core seminar called Living as a Church. So let's look at, and you can turn, but I will have the slides up here. But if you want to turn and see the context, that's good too. We're going to look at chapter 3, verses 8 through, t 8 through 10, where we see Paul's purpose statement for the local church. He writes, To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. And he continues in verse 10. So that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. <clears throat> so what is God's eternal pur purpose? Paul just told us. For the church to display his wisdom to all creation. How? Paul here says... It has to do with a mystery that God has now revealed. And the mystery is defined in chapter 3 as well. He's actually already talked about it in verse 6. But think about this. So that the manifold witness of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. That word manifold is the word multifaceted. It's almost like looking at a diamond and based on the cuts of a diamond, being able to look in and see the diamond from different perspectives. It's the same diamond, but it, it has a multifaceted view. God's wisdom is multifaceted. You can look at it this way and that way, but through the church, God's wisdom is demonstrated to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places, to the angelic world. We are, the angels are watching, and we are a witness 
of God's manifold wisdom to the world. So, sorry. So, moving ahead, we look at the purpose of diversity, the mystery of the Jew and Gentile in chapter 3, verse 6. To be specific, he writes that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So what this is talking about in Ephesians 3 is that what God has done is absolutely amazing. You know, he promised back in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, it is, it is to light a thing that should be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So God had told the nation of Israel that they were to be a testimony to the world. They were to be a light to the dark nations surrounding them. But now in Christ, using this gospel ministry that Paul's using here, God has actually accomplished this. Now in Christ, the descendants of Abraham, who aren't merely descendants of flesh, but through faith. We are children of Abraham through faith. And this is being fulfilled. So we're a testimony certainly to the world, but even to the angels in heaven. Notice the second thing, the prior separation that's talked about. And I think we have a concept of this. But in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, why do even the rulers and authorities in heavenly places take notice of the unity between the Jew and and Gentile in the church. Well, it, it part it has to do with how separated they were before Christ. It's a separation that God, that Paul calls in chapter two, verse fourteen, the dividing wall of hostility. And we know, even remember how the Jews responded to the Samaritans. They were half breeds. There was. The Gentile, we, we were considered like dogs. And so there was hostility in both directions. So these two groups basically had different cultures, different theological beliefs. And all of this separation was an open hostility. It might rain. Then next, the supernatural power of God, back in chapter 3, verses 20 through 21, and we will, uh, we will quote it this time. Um, a first century reader might object and say, that kind of unity is not possible. I mean, based on their experience in the first century, and maybe knowing about the hundreds of years of hostility between Jew and Gentiles, they would probably say in that day, before the church, well, that would take a miracle. And that's precisely the point. Listen to the words of Paul's doxology at the end of chapter 3. Paul says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power of 
at God within, of God within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all the generations forever and ever. Amen. See, God is the one that's done this. Paul's awareness that when he describes Jews and Gentiles loving one another in the Ephesian church, despite centuries of animosity, he's talking about a unity that's infinitely beyond our human capacity to achieve. It's something that would never happen apart from God's work. If it's God's power that's at work within us, God will gain glory as his wisdom is manifested through the church, his multifaceted wisdom. In other words, diversity is not the main point. Unity in spite of diversity is the main point. God brings together people that are different, that maybe would have had nothing to do with one another, and he unifies them in Jesus Christ. And that's important. Unity in spite of diversity. This unity is what shows off the power of the cross. In the first century and uh, uniquely in salvation history, that meant Jews and Gentiles worshiping together. But the basic principle of Ephesians 3, 3 remains. God is glorified when previously separated people are united in Christ and love each other despite all their differences. Okay, the fourth thing, the illustration of marriage. And this is back from, it's a reference back, we're not reading it, but back to Genesis 2. It's, this illustration of marriage is helpful. Marriage celebrates unity and diversity simultaneously. The power of marriage is that a husband and wife are different from each other. That, some would say that's an understatement, right? But we're so glad that God did it that way. Eve was created to be a helper who corresponded to Adam. She was different. And yet at the end of Genesis 2, we read that Adam and Eve became one flesh. As anyone who's married understands, each person's differences help make a marriage strong. But those differences only create weakness if there's no commitment, no oneness, and no unity. When there's that commitment and oneness and unity, actually differences can be strengthening to a marriage. So if the purpose of diversity is to display the power of the gospel, we should look more closely at just what we mean by diversity. What kind of diversity shows off the power of the cross that leads us to the next point? The character of diversity. Unity that surpasses. And we're going to break this down. Ethnic diversity. Now, let me make a statement here. While racism exists, it's not a... I don't believe it to be a systemic problem in our culture today. But there's obviously people that are racist. But understand, race is a man-made distinction based on skin color or various features. However, biblically, there's only one race. There's one race. We are all created in the image of God. Genetically, there's only one race. 
People don't realize it, but you take any people group, and there's far more uh, genetic variability but within the one group, and you take another genetic group of people, say you take uh, Caucasians and American Indians, there's a lot more diversity within, within any group, whether it's Indians or Caucasians or whatever group, than there is between any two groups. So if you take the average of Caucasians and the average of American Indians, there's much more genetic variability within each group than there is in between any two groups that you might categorize as a race. So there's no genetic foundation for race either. There's actually every genetic marker has an overlapping amongst the races. And so they, they all overlap. There's people that are Caucasian that, believe it or not, that have darker skin than some people that are, uh, you know, American Indian or whatever we might want to use. Um, in spite of that reality that it's not biblical nor scientific, this thing of racism, the fallen nature of man can seek to promote ethnic identity and degrade those who are different. All men are created in the image of God. I remember attending, I actually had the privilege of attending and then later speaking at uh, Cornerstone Baptist Church in Orlando, Florida. And a good friend that invited me there uh, is an African-American guy by the name of Jerome, and I think the world of this man. But after the service, I asked him, I said, how did you get one-third Caucasian, one-third Hispanic, and one-third African-American? He said, it's very simple. He said, our community is one-third Caucasian, one-third African-American, and one-third Hispanic. We just go share the gospel with whoever will listen. So they didn't go out and intentionally try to... They just went and shared the gospel, and that's what we should do. Diversity is not the goal. Unity is the goal in spite of diversity. So that's my two cents as far as ethnic diversity. But a lot of times what people consider ethnic diversity, in part at least is cultural diversity. So, here's the way I said it in my notes. Often, the issue masquerading as ethnic diversity is really cultural diversity. It's sometimes not the color of a person's skin, not the color of their skin, the color of their skin that sets us apart, but the strange culture that different people groups are associated with. Culture is basically a way of life. That's what the word culture means. It's talking about a way of life. Might be the, we might be talking about how people talk, how they act, how they dress, their social status, what they believe, the music they listen to, the arts they like, and the list goes on and on and on. It's simply way of life. So it's easy to feel like the way we do things is right and the way other people do things is not quite so right. However, every culture is different, and their differences are not necessarily right or wrong. We must be sure to distinguish between differences that are foreign to my way of life than as not 
wrong necessarily. We need to differentiate, like if we're, look, if we're bothered by things about somebody's culture, what I'm trying to say, we need to distinguish, is it just a difference than the way I do things or the way I think about things? Or is this a biblical difference? Is this a moral difference? Is it go against God's Word? There are things in every culture that goes against the Word of God. So we need to look first at our own culture before we start condemning another culture. But, you know, I found in living in another culture in Canada, working with the Native American people, I found very quickly that the way I thought things should be done wasn't always the best. Like, I found that other people knew how to do things really good, too. It might be different than the way I grew up doing it. Here's a quick example. We, and, and this, you might say, you've got to be kidding. But we moved to Canada, and this had nothing to do with uh, Native Americans. Just living in a small town, going to the bank, I'd go to the bank, and I'd have a list. You know, I was wide open when I got to Canada. Have a list of 20 things to do for today, and I'm just going as hard as I could to go from one place to another to get everything done. I'd go into the bank, be standing in line, and the lady, usually the lady talking to the customer, they would talk for 10 minutes or longer sometimes, and they would talk about this woman's bursitis or this or that. I mean, people's waiting in line. I think, what is going on here? I mean, I'm about to pull out my hair. Well, a few years later, I was doing the same thing. And I actually liked it. I just learned to deal with it, you know. That's a different culture. I mean, (laughs) that's probably true. But that gives you an idea of what I'm talking about. Just because we do things a certain way and it works for us, we don't need to put our, you know, our little petty things off on or expect everybody else to do it the same. The third thing is age diversity. Um, where in the world do you see young men having lunch with 80-year-old women that they're not related to? That's not a common sight. But... Should that be that unusual in the church if you're ministering to an elderly woman? I mean, that's just one example. But it's very easy for us to just choose to minister to people that's our own age. You see what I'm saying? We have a responsibility, in spite of these diversities, to serve God by serving people. And we can't let ethnic differences cultural differences, age differences stop us from serving one another. It's very comfortable to minister to people, to reach out to people that we like or that we have things in common with. But it's got to extend much further than that. There's also economic diversity. Our world's familiar with rich people doing kind things for poor people sometimes. But when those rich people go home to their neighborhoods, they find themselves only spending time with other rich people, at least usually. It shouldn't be that way in the church. That's why James uh, attacks the church in James 2 for showing partiality to the the rich. Favoritism reeks to God. 
Some in the church may have nice gadgets or eat at nice restaurants. Those who can't afford those luxuries need to protect their hearts from jealousy. But those who can shouldn't assume that everyone else is in the same financial place as they are. Economic diversity. And then we have personality diversity. And we have different personalities. That's why we connect so well with some people and maybe not so well with other people. And it takes more work to connect with someone that's different than us. 1 Corinthians 12 says that everyone has a gift and everyone is needed in the body. If someone is so socially awkward, do you think they find our church to be a refuge? They should. Because... And don't, don't misunderstand, I totally understand. But we need to get out of our shell and relate to those that are different and reach out. Somebody comes into the church, maybe you pick up on that they're very socially awkward. They are, uh, what's the word for an inward person? Introvert. And maybe you're an extrovert reach out. You, you don't want to overwhelm them because you might make them uncomfortable, but you want them to know that they're welcome. And some people need to sense our care. I mean, everybody does, but uh, some of those people are in special need of knowing that they're cared about and that we have the love of God within us. And so we need to be patient and reach out to those people that are different than us. And there's a lot of examples we could come up with. And then this, I think, is important. I've changed some of these and made this my own, but church, what I call church background diversity, especially for those that grew up in a church, cultural background carries with it expectations for what a church should be like. To some degree of sacrifice is necessary to have a church composed of Christians from various traditions. And that's just fine. We need to be honest with our, that our church, let me read that again, we need to be honest that our church does have a certain culture. We speak English here, right? S- some of us. I don't, know about jo- I don't know about John, but you know. <laughs> we have certain kind of musical instruments, We sing songs that are, to some degree, of the European-American tradition, uh, biblical tradition. But we all need to sacrifice. We need to be willing to reach. Not everybody everybody likes the same things. What we need to be very careful about, though, is that we don't cross boundaries of God's prescriptive commands things whether it comes to music or whatever we're talking about so what we're not we're not saying that we you know we we get a rock band in here and they play acdc that's not what we're talking about what we're (laughs) what we're talking about is making sure that we are faithful to the biblical things that god has prescribed in his word and thing and we are able to distinct those things that are not biblical, that are our preferences, and understand where other people are coming from because people come from different backgrounds. Now, this is a good time to pause and thank the Lord for the diversity 
that he's worked out in our congregation. And we certainly have room to grow. We have a community that's made up of different kind of people. You know, depending on which uh, neighborhood you go into, there are people that are different. There are Hispanic people, African-American people. I'm sure there are Asian people that we can relate to and reach out to. Um, we need to selflessly and, and cheerfully cross boundaries. And I don't, you know, maybe I'm speaking for myself, but I think sometimes it's, it's that uncomfortableness for me. It, I have to put a little bit more effort if it's somebody that just, uh, you know, I'm the kind of person that I like to, I share my feelings. You know, I think you know where I'm coming from. I think I'm honest about, you know, maybe some people say you're, you're too, you go too far that direction. I've been accused of that before because I share what I think. And then there's other people that you have no idea how they're responding to what you're saying. You just walk away from the conversation. You know what I'm talking about. And you're like, I don't know if they didn't like what I said. I don't know if they liked what I said. I have no idea. I like to feel you. You know, I like to know what's going on here. And so when I come across a person like that, I have to go the extra mile. And it might be uncomfortable for me because if I'm not feeling you, you know what I'm saying. So don't be, don't be discouraged. Be encouraged in well-doing. Take heart. Uh, John 3, 14, 1 John 3.14 reminds us, we know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. And brethren are made up of different people, different backgrounds, different uh, different. I don't want to use the word races, cultures, ages. Some of us are really young, you know. Economics, some of us are really poor. (laughs) Different personalities and uh, different church backgrounds. So the foundation of diversity, God's work, making one new man through the gospel. Now you might be thinking, all this sounds great. But how can we grow in diversity in the areas that we're talking about? And the answer at first might sound naive. It might even sound offensively naive. But we must, what we must, what must we do to see unity and diversity coexist in our own churches? In the most important sense, we do nothing. God's work, making one new man through Christ. Consider the evidence of Ephesians 2 and 3 that we looked at a few moments ago. Now in chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, Paul says, For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in him he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having 
Put to death the enmity. So, making one new man through the gospel, for he himself is our peace who made the two. So this is not so much, even though there's responsibility here, it's based on what God has done. Don't forget that. This is the word. God's the one that takes Jew and Gentile and brings them into one body. That takes different ethnic groups and puts them into one body. That takes rich and poor, bond or free, old and young. We could add all kinds of things because we are one in Christ no matter these diverse things about us. But in this sense, in another sense, I should say we do nothing. And I've sort of lost my place here. But does the fact that God establishes our unity that mean that we should lazily sit back and expect people with all sorts of different personalities and backgrounds to love one another automatically? Not really. In fact, we can selfishly and sinfully resist unity. Sometimes Christians do that. We're a fallen people. We face constant temptation to live against the grain of God's established unity. And we'd be naive to overlook the fact that historical realities influence us in this area too. Assumptions about ethnicity and class and culture are often inherited and often need to be corrected by the truth of God's word. So we begin by admitting that our gospel unity comes only from Christ. Yet rather than resist unity, we're called to embrace and even cultivate it. Like a farmer watering and fertilizing a plant, we can recognize that we're not the ones who give the plant of our unity its life, but what we do matters tremendously to keep that plant growing and healthy. And I think that's a good illustration. So moments after Paul establishes that it's God alone who unites Jew and Gentile in the Ephesian church. He says in verse 3 of Ephesians 4, Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Like so many of Paul's letters, the first half of Ephesians says, This is who you are in Christ. You're not only sinners made alive, you're strangers made one. The second half of the book then says, therefore live as, as who you are in Christ. God has unified you. Now make every effort to keep the unity established through the bond of peace that Christ obtained. So how do we, again, create unity and diversity? We recognize the invisibility in, invisibility of your culture if I could read I wonder if anyone's ever told you that you had an accent I've been told that many the the native people used to say talk more talk more They they wanted to hear me talk I don't have an accent what are you talking about and that's what people say 
It's other people that sound weird, right? Definitely. Not me. It can work this way with our culture. Now, those who are part of a minority culture in a church usually don't have any trouble being aware of it. It's those in the majority who need to have their eyes open to the fact that not everybody shares their experiences or their perspectives. For example, one of, one of the first times this guy writes, I got to lead a prayer of confession on Sunday morning. Most of the sins that I confessed are sins of young people, especially young men, tending to, tend to fight against. The pastors challenged me after that. I'd work from my own experience outward assuming that everyone was basically just like me. Instead, I should have meditated more broadly and prayed about things that my 75-year-old brothers and sisters in Christ are struggling with too. In Acts chapter 6, when conflict arose between two different groups within the church, it was because of the Greek-speaking widows were being overlooked. They were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. The fact that their complaint was against the Aramaic-speaking Jews and that the apostles took the problem seriously suggests that there may have been a problem with the majority culture not realizing the needs of others. When Paul in Romans 12 tells us to um, Oh, I, I, I see what's wrong here to give preference to one another in honor, this must surely invoke working to make the assumptions of my own culture a little more obvious to myself so that I might care well for others. One of the best ways we can do this in our relationship is simply asking thoughtfully, open-eyed questions, open-ended questions, excuse me, to learn about others' experience of the Christian life and how it may differ from ours. I'm not talking about uh, interrogating someone or making them feel uncomfortable or self uncomfortable or self-conscious because they are different. I'm talking about sensitivity and hum sensitively and humbly taking the time to get to know someone so that you can sincerely learn about their life and background, their joys and their struggle, and that leads us to the next suggestion, B, embrace those who are different from you. Paul writes to the Corinthians, for by one spirit you were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. There's the diversity. Imagine with me if the church in Corinth heard that verse and then decided that since Paul was calling the church to unity, they would set up groups within the congregation for similar folks to be around those they'd be most comfortable with. So they'd make a group for Jews and a group for Greeks and a group for slaves and a group for free. We would certainly say no to that, and I think they would too. That's not what Paul has in mind here. And yet, if we only pursue fellowship with those that are just like us, that's essentially how we apply 
those verses. So we embrace those who are different from us and notice the balanced plate of relationships. The image of a balanced food plate used by the Department of Agriculture can be helpful here. When I was growing up, it was the food pyramid. But apparently they've upgraded to a plate. It's unhealthy to eat only burgers and fries, even though they're good. I'm sorry to tell you, they just made that change yesterday. No. The plate has a section for fruits and vegetables, for grains, and for proteins. So we can think of striving to cultivate a balanced plate of relationships in the church. There are relationships where someone especially builds into you and encourages you. I think that's like your dessert, right? There are relationships where you pour into and disciple someone else. There are mutual friendships. And then here's the key. There are relationships where you're only, where you're, you are, there are relationships where you're only friends because you're a Christian. Not because of any natural reason. Those are healthy and important relationships. Now these categories can overlap. But if there aren't any in that last category, we should be concerned. A good place to start is to ask ourselves some diagnostic questions. How often do you have a meaningful conversation with those who are different from you? Different line of work? Different ethnic background? All the things that we talked about. We need to make sacrifices for the sake of unity. Paul says in Romans 12:1 to offers our, offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. What does that look like in the church? Where ministry takes place. Ministry among believers. He goes on to say in verse 9, love must be sincere. Verse 13, practice hospitality. Verse 16, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Boom. It's very possible to enjoy the idea attending of a diverse church and yet never lift a finger to get to know someone who, who's actually different than me. In that sense, God calls us to be consumers in church, but not producers. But if we value diversity, we should put that into action by making personal sacrifices to see growth. What kind of sacrifices? Just breaking it down very quickly and we're done. We can sacrifice our comfort to reach out and associate with someone we're not naturally drawn to. I've already talked about that. Mark 9:35 If anyone would be first, he must be last of all, the servant of all. Preferences. We can sacrifice our preferences in all sorts of areas. What kind of food at the fellowship event? 
what kind of songs we sing in church. Romans 12.10, honor one another above yourselves. Resources and times, we can sacrifice our resources and time to serve fellow church members in need. To host them in our homes. To give them a ride. To care for their children. To help them with a need that they might have. To sit down and talk with them when they're struggling. To pray with them. Take the effort to prepare yourself when a brother or sister in Christ is going through a struggle. Take your Bible and prepare yourself to go and encourage them in the Lord. Tom might involve resources. Might need to take them out to eat. Sit with them. Spend time with them. It's a blessing. It's serving God. And then habits. We can sacrifice our habits to make space for knowing others who may have different schedule from us or live in a different area of town. We live all over, don't we? If you're someone who always plans your schedule two months out, be willing to spontaneously go out to eat lunch. You know, whatever that involves. Make every sacrifice. Again, the point in making these sacrifices isn't diversity for diversity's sake. It's not to check off a box and say, okay, great, now I have a couple of friends who look different from me or act different from me. We need to cultivate unity in diversity. In other words, the whole point here is unity, but not letting diversity get in the way of that unity. And it's easy to do. It's the sin nature. Because it brings us outside of our comfort zone. By cultivating unity and diversity, we testify God's matchless wisdom and grace. That multifaceted wisdom, it points to Him and who He is. It screams out, to the world, to even angels. And you would think, you know, sometimes I think, why do they even care? Why do the angels? But we are testimony to the angels, and that's important to God. So for now, let me leave, leave us with this amazing vision of what all our diversity and that of the church universal and throughout time will look like around the throne of God. John writes in Revelation 7, After these things I looked and beheld a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It's the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Let's pray and we'll have some questions. Father, thank you, God, for the unity that we have in you. God, that you have brought us into one body. We have the same Father the same head, 
And God, we are different in many different ways. And that's part of the beauty of it. God, that you can take two groups that are so hostile to one another, like Jews and Gentiles, and you can bring them into unity to where they meet together and love one another and serve one another and praise you for your grace. Father, that's your work. And we praise you for that tonight. And we pray this in Jesus' name.